listening to Answer the Call with Brandon and Kristen. Get ready to transform. Because life is too short to put your dreams on hold. We have an amazing show in store for you today. Brandon, tell us about it. Well, today we're going to be talking about health and longevity, and we're going to have a special guest with us. His name is Christian Elliott. He is the founder of True Whole Human. And we're not only going to drop some serious knowledge on you about this topic, but we're also going to crush any excuse you might have for not doing the right things to take care of yourselves. And uh, let me tell you why this is so important. This is a, I saw a, a shocking statistic recently. For the first time in 100 years, life expectancy has dropped in the United States for the third straight year. We are actually dying younger, even despite all the you know proliferation of medical treatments, et cetera. Now, there are a host of reasons why this is happening, and that's why I think it's important that we talk to somebody that has a holistic sense of health and fitness, and that's why we're excited to have Kristen with us today. I'm excited to talk to him today, too, because, you know, there's so much research out there, and you can just get lost. It's like going down a rabbit hole if you're Googling anything about health. But it's interesting because when 75% of our healthcare costs are related to preventable chronic and stress-related diseases, it tells us that we have a lot of power in this space, that we're not exercising, (laughs) literally and figuratively, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well put, well put. Yeah, yeah. We we seem to have excuses. I mean, you know, the thing is, we know, right? We know the right things to do. The question is, why don't we do them? You know, why aren't we motivated, more motivated to do them? What's blocking us from taking the steps we need to take, the steps we know we need to take to be healthier? right? I'm just going to put it out there. Milk chocolate is blocking me from being healthier. (laughs) There you go. It's all on the chocolate (laughs) industry. Big chocolate. It's big chocolate, not big oil. It's big chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's just the the typical excuses, right? And that's why I'm I'm actually really interested to talk to Kristen today because I know that he's going to swat away any excuse that we could possibly have for not working out. Maybe some folks are, are not eating their proper things as well. So really excited to talk to him. As I mentioned earlier, he's the founder of True Whole Human with his wife, Nina Elliott, most knowledgeable health expert I've ever met in my entire life. And I have to say, I'm not just a fan. I'm a client. I actually worked out with Christian for a couple of years. He beat me up in the gym. And I got to tell you something. I was doing things at 45 that I couldn't do at 25. So he knows what he's talking about. And I know he's going to be able to help all of you. Okay, so I found that both scary and impressive. I'm I'm scared because I gotta admit, Brandon, I kind of like my excuses. Like they're like the soft pillow I put my head on and like the warm blanket I wrap myself in. Like I, I love my excuses because I can hold on to them and and they I've made them make sense in my life. But then you go and you say, Hey, I'm doing things at 45 that I couldn't do at 25, and I'm like, ooh, well, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of inspiring because I have to admit, as I age, it's just not going as well as one would hope. So, <laughs> Right, right. And it's, look, it's a constant battle. I mean, I fluctuate. I go back and forth. You know, like I mentioned, that was a few years ago when I was in the throes of working out with Christian. So it's, it's a constant battle. But one of the things I love about him is he, he made you get over your excuses in a way that it just wasn't painful. Like you saw the sense in it. So, and, and you learn to appreciate incremental gain. We've talked about that a lot in this show, you know, in other areas of life mm-hmm. and to celebrate those small victories. And I think that was very motivating. So hopefully he'll, uh, he'll be able to help all of you to be able to get over your excuses, including you and I me. Know, I was going to say, including <laughs> me, because I haven't been a client of Christians and I'm a little tentative, but I'm very interested, very curious, and I'm very looking forward to what he has to say. And I'll give Excellent. you my feedback at the end. And if I'm not running to the gym. <laughs> yeah, then we'll need to know why. Right? <laughs> right. Or big chocolate. 
Um, okay, great. Well, with, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get to that interview with Christian. So Christian, one thing that's super interesting to me is how did you get into this space of health and fitness longevity? How did you arrive here? Oh man. Okay. Great question. So it really started as a kind of journey to get my own health back. I got married in my late twenties and my health was kind of not what I wanted it to be. And I'm looking at this thinking, my gosh, if it's this now, what is it going to be, you know, when I'm 10 years older? And so, um, I had the good fortune to find of all people, a chiropractor, and I went there for my shoulder because my wife's bridesmaid went for her wrist. I'm like, well, the shoulder is closer to the back than the wrist. So it's got to be, maybe they can help me. They blew me away. And, and essentially, I had been to half a dozen different doctors trying to figure out what was going on with my joints, why I was getting sick all the time. Nothing was helping. And they turned my health around in a matter of months. And I became just this fascinated student. Like, if that is something that powerful, and I had no idea about it, what else do I not know? And when I dive into a topic, I get my teeth around it and I don't let it go until I understand it. And eventually it turned into a hobby and people were wanting to know what I learned and then started to pay me for what I learned. And then it became a business eventually. And I just realized how many different moving parts there are to health. And I, I kind of think like a high level strategist. And so putting those pieces together, helping people integrate different ways to build their health became kind of my passion and then a business. So while people were looking, were they watching you go through your own health program? Like I'm imagining you in your late twenties, right? You get married and usually people are trying to get in shape when they get married. (laughs) And then, so like, and then people are asking you, so I'm just wondering, was your physical self changing during this process? So I was, somehow I imagined, I managed to woo my wife with my less than great health. But so I was never, you wouldn't look at me like, boy, that guy's out of shape. You know, he needs to do something. But internally, I was not well. I, the the joint issues I had, I could barely, like snuggling was hard. I could barely lift my hand above my head and okay. certain motions of turning around hurt. So being able to reclaim fitness or you feel your athletic future slipping and when you're like, this is, this can't be good. Like I want to, I want to hike with my grandkids and I can barely do this now. So mm. it was more the, the reclamation of physical abilities that I was slowly losing and the frequency of colds. I was sick probably four times a year, which is just a big drag on your health. Yeah, so. It is. so for you, the motivation was to get your health back. You were experiencing pain, number mm-hmm. one. You couldn't turn. You couldn't live the life you wanted. You were in your 20s too, which is, right. which is striking. Early. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, nearing 50. I get it why I feel those things now, although you'll tell me that it's not necessarily doesn't have to happen that way. Um, mm-hmm. When you were in your 20s, so reclaiming your, your health, reclaiming your pain, and then the motivation to want to be active later in life, right, was another motivating factor for you? Oh, sure it was. Yeah, to, to realize I want to have kids and I want to be able to age well. And in my late 20s, thinking this is not going to go well if I don't get back in front of this. So you had strong motivation. Now, what about the clients, the people that come into your gym? How, what motivates them to finally say, I've got to go talk to this guy? It's different for different people. There's typically about three main categories, three reasons people will come to me. So the first one is somebody that's just kind of in that crazy, busy middle third of life where the complexities of the number of things that are pulling at them just makes their health feel like they're falling behind and they're never going to get back in front of it and they don't know what to do. And so they'll come to me to kind of say like, 
can can you help me? There's so much going on. I don't know where I can possibly fit in another thing. Um, so that's the first one. The other, the next one would be somebody who's kind of at the tail end of that season. So like an empty nester where they feel the effects of their health has been slipping for a while. And they finally feel like they have the margin to do something about it and, and start to put a concerted effort behind it. Or the third one would be like a come to Jesus meeting with their doctor where they just had a blood test or something. And they're like, crap, I'm staring at an early death if I don't do something about this. And so they have that underneath them to say, I better get my button gear or this is not going to go well. So those are usually, it's usually a deeper mode. It's not the skinny jeans. Yeah. I want to look good for the, the summer and that sort of thing. I usually get the people. Well, that's who my are, motivation. Yeah. Right? I just like right. to look good. In <laughs> you do look good in them. Yeah. So I am, I am the first category where it's just like, you know, you've got kids, you've got a full-time job, you've got a lot going on and you're like, how am I going to fit another thing in? So I'm uh-huh. just curious, what is the starting point? You know, and I will say I've also, I'm aging, I'm, I'm in the 50s space. Uh, and I have noticed there's a change in my metabolism. And I think some of that's hormonal. And some of it's just that I have a sedentary lifestyle. So I've got two things kind of going on. So as moving forward and looking forward to reclaiming my health, especially the health I had, I'd prefer my 16-year-old health, just to be clear. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> as long as we're making wishes here. <laughs> I would take 20, 25. What kind of advice would you go with? For, well, I mean, a few things. So there's the reality. I think the, the major flaw that most programs out there have is they disregard your life. They say, you know, all those habits that came together and your busy schedule and the moving parts of who you are, your health history, never worry about that. Don't, it's just cram this one thing into your life, muster some willpower, get through it, and you'll be fine. And what usually I have to do with people is we peel back the layers of the onion and say, you're probably doing too much. Like we need to back off and find your true north. We need to know what's so important that you don't have time to take care of your health. Because if you don't take care of it, you're not going to have it. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out what can be let go is often a big one. And then to your 16 year old comment, it would be (laughs) having more patience with yourself because your body has, is fantastically capable of being fit. I've trained people in their sixties and beyond that are incredibly fit and envious you know, people in their twenties are like, how in the world are they still doing that? And what happens is your body still knows how to be that fit. It can reclaim it, but it doesn't heal like it did when you're 20 or 16. It has to take more time. And often people don't have the patience with the process because what you see in traditional marketing is the outlier story. It's the oh, person yeah. who's lost so much weight in a short amount of time. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, my results, I'm, I'm special like that person. All yeah. the stars must align perfectly for me. So I should be able to hit it that fast. And the patience end of it, I, I tell people, it's interesting. I, I wasn't planning on this being one of the major thing or the a theme that people really sunk their teeth into. But when I started telling people, you know what? Do you plan on being alive more than the next two years? Because if you do, we got all the time we need. You're, you're, it takes your body, like all of the cells in your body in two years will be gone. You'll have completely new ones. But it takes about that long to turn over everything inside you. And if you have the patience to play the long game, you can win every time. How do you combat that? I mean, because it reminds me when you were talking about the, the way that people react to the fad diets, right? The quick fix. It reminds me of people who win the lottery. They win right. the lottery and they get all this money and then they, they you know, get rid of it. They spend it because they don't yeah. have the habits in place. And yeah. so the questions that kind of come out of that, number one is how do you overcome the fad diet obsession and the fact that people believe 
that that's the solution for them. So how do you sell your long-term plan to people who are short-term focused? And then the second question being, how do you get them to change those habits? Like with the process of change is complex. So what's your approach? Yeah, it depends on the person. But if somebody comes to me and they're, okay, I got a, I got a reunion coming up. I got to look good by in two months from now. What do you got? I'm like, well, I mean, do you want the fast solution? That, the program I, we have, we call it the Transformational Weight Loss Academy. And I say in one of the lectures, this is not the fastest way to lose weight academy. Like, if you want transformation that will last, if you're okay with losing weight a little slower and keeping it off after the reunion, then let's do this methodically and let's figure out what in your life is keeping you from being able to do that. But oftentimes it's people's mindset that I think is the number one thing that holds them back from any sort of accomplishment they want in life. And sometimes I just have to tell people that I'm not the fit for that. If you're not ready for a comprehensive slowdown, let's do this the right way. And you just want the quick fix, go drink slim fast, get some liposuction, go do a gastric bypass, see if you can get on the biggest loser. That'll get you done quickly. But none of those last. I mean, you know, 70% of people that win the lottery go broke. It's uh-huh. like you yeah. climb to the top of the mountain, but you have no skills to stay there. That's right. And so if, if somebody resonates with that approach, like I'll usually talk them through and paint fast forward. Okay, we're just, they're just going to go this way. You're going to get all the way back. And do you like that? Nobody wants that. But when you can lay out both options, here's fast and here's sustainable, They'll usually choose sustainable if it's a compelling path. Um, not everyone will. You just got to find people in the right headspace. And sometimes I just say, I don't think I'm the best fit for that. But yeah. uh, for people who are, it's, it works amazingly. Okay, so let's talk about that a minute, getting in the right headspace. Because I will say on my Facebook feed, on my Pinterest feed, on my Instagram, whatever, I get all these things of these people who have lost you know, hundreds of pounds in six weeks. It, it's not quite that, Mm -hmm. but it it looks like that. And it's Uh all women in bikinis. (laughs) That's like (laughs) kind of how they're putting it out there, right? I wonder why they do that. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, So, so you, you're inundated with all of this propaganda more or less, right? And it's Mm -hmm. everybody's selling something in your point of moving into the, the headspace, which will then lead to the personal fitness space. It's like a two-step process, right? You get your head around it, you get, and then you move into action almost is what I feel like you're saying. Can you talk about like what that headspace should feel like? Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Like if you're in business or you're trying to figure out what are people wrestling with as they fall asleep at night, what's the pain point going through their head? And nobody's like, gosh, I just need to have more self-mastery. Or if I just knew my true North, or if I just had like people like, I got to get in shape. Like I got to get this weight off. I got to get healthy. Those are the things they're saying. And so you got to kind of come in the same door that they're going through and then have a conversation with them. So to be able to get somebody in the right headspace, it's funny. And one of the programs we did recently, the number one piece of feedback we always get hands down is that we change people's mindset. The way they think about the process is completely different. And they're so grateful for that. And so I was talking to this group and I said, so how many of you guys would have signed up for a mindset Academy? And they all just laughed. I was like, right. oh. so yeah. Everyone <laughs> thinks their mindset is not the problem. And right. for 90% of people, it is the problem. Mm-hmm. And so to get in the headspace that says, I, I want to change as a person. Probably the perfect analogy for this is the movie Groundhog Day. Have you guys seen that? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Over I mean, and over again. Right. <laughs> right. 
But that movie, like he couldn't move the narrative of his life forward until he changed as a person, like how he thought about himself, the, how he related to other people, the narrative of the skills that he worked on and why that would make his life better. And when you start to think that way about, I want to become a better person, like, you, you know, you, you're the best friend, somebody that you admire or somebody that you want to be, somebody in your Facebook feed who lost a bunch of weight. They weren't born with more willpower than you. Something happened along their journey where they acquired more and more of it or they acquired more skills or they became the kind of person for whom discipline is normal. So how do we replicate that process? That's really what I try to take people through. And the headspace of someone that, I guess the two biggest things that get in people's way mindset related are, are the fixed mindset. You guys know the Carol Dweck book? Okay, so the uh, kind of fixed versus growth. Anybody that comes in with absolute statements of, I can't, I won't, I always, I never, it is always, like that's just, to me, the red flag goes up right away. And, like, and so I just have a gentle conversation where I say, really, never. There's no alternate universe where this could be possible. And once you put a crack in the ice there and they can see like, oh, wait a minute, this, this could go differently. That's a big one. And then it's just the narrative that they tell themselves about themselves or about the process of losing weight. And the best test for that is, would you say those things to a five-year-old? Most people don't want to say what they say to themselves to a five-year-old because that is a negative headspace. And when you can clear that or you can point it out and you can take it captive and replace it with something else that is truth, that's believable, that has a frame of reference that says, I can do that, that new headspace changes the conversation. That's, uh, I, by, by the way, I love movie metaphors. They, they really speak. <laughs> the Groundhog Day one is so great because what kind of movie would that be if he didn't evolve, he just kept making the same decisions over and over again. That's the kind of movie nobody wants to live, certainly. But that's the movie that we're all living so yeah. often. It's right. stuck in the habit. We keep making the same mistake over and over again. And I think part of what you were just talking about alluded to the concept of excuses. Because excuses are really just mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the excuses I used to use until I met you was, I'm in too much pain. I'm too sore, so I can't work out today. You know, I, and, and what I learned from you is, yeah, you can. You have to work uh-huh. out differently. You have to listen to your body. So talk about that concept, listening to your body and how that relates to how you approach working with somebody who may be experiencing pain. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll, I'll stick with musculoskeletal for now, just kind of the movement pain, because that's a separate animal from other things. But as far as movement pain, really, the I mean, the heart of the matter, I think, is the way that we move in quote-unquote workouts or in boutique fitness or wherever, those look nothing like the way we move in the rest of life for the most part. And so if you can rewind the tape and, and say, okay, how did we develop our nervous systems from birth to early childhood? Completely different. And what we do because we're so sedentary is we just stiffen in particular areas and we get hot spots of strength and weakness all throughout our body. And those strong muscles sitting next to weak muscles, when they go and they have to work together, there's pain, there's discomfort. And in the ironing out of those differences where the strength is recaptured by basically moving like a human instead of a robot, the strength comes back and the buoyancy returns to your joints and pain dissipates and your body's doing all the healing. You just had to figure out a better way to move. So does that answer your question? It does answer my question. And and it gets to the point of, you know, most people, when they associate working out, it's like, they're going to go, they're going to run the treadmill and just do that. Or they're going to go pound the weights at the gym. Um, But what does a workout look like with you? If you're talking about moving more organically? 
Yeah. What, so what I typically do, by the way, one of the easiest low hanging fruit to lose weight and get some pain out of your body is walk. It, nobody makes money off of it. So nobody talks about it, but the more, the better. It's like the one type of exercise we can't do too much of. So I typically try to get people walking, but then from there, it's, it's more mastery of your own body weight in space. So up and down off the floor in different positions where you're moving and rotating and you have to have pressure on yourself. So I typically, my workout's typically a half hour walk followed by 15 or 20 minutes of mobility work. And then I'll hit the weights and then add in a little cardio ish thing at the end. But I try to make sure every workout's a little different. So it takes a while to develop a toolkit big enough so that you're constantly able to change it and say, okay, what would my body appreciate next? Or what would I appreciate today? Or how do I choose my exercises in light of what I did yesterday or what I might do tomorrow? And those moving parts, it doesn't take a whole lot of work to do, but you, you have to become a student of exercise for at least a little season of life to get really good at that. And then you own it forever. So I would start with just basic recapturing of mobility and then strengthening basic motions that the human should have. You can, once you start adding weights, then you restrict some of those motions. But it sure is a, a fun, vast world when you move well and it doesn't hurt anymore. Let me ask you this, because uh, I have been on my own kind of doing various exercises. And I'm curious, one of the exercises that didn't necessarily change my body all that much, but definitely changed the way I moved was yoga. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me kind of in layman's terms, why I experienced such a difference in the way I moved with yoga, as opposed to say weightlifting? Yeah. So with yoga, there's typically anything that can work at a myofascial level, which is basically your muscle, muscle and fascia. So your fascia, if you don't know, is this kind of this yeah. Almost leotard you wear under your skin that squeezes and holds everything and interweaves even your bones. Yeah. And when you're putting like those motor neurons in fascia, there's more of there's billions more of them than there are in muscle. Yep. And if they're stimulated with pressure in those positions, you can you're essentially uncompressing the joints. And depending on the type of yoga, some of them are more movement, some of them are more static holds. But yep. as you move and you teach the body to unload. Or like if you think of a way a cat stretches that just, or kids just get out of bed, we just naturally do that. Like yep. you're breaking up some of those adhesions or stiffness that you'd normally feel. And that's why you're feeling lighter. Whereas weights can compress you, especially if you don't, if your form's not great, you don't know what you're doing right. with it. And I'm sure that I didn't. And that's fascinating. No, because the fascia, <laughs> I, you know, you forget about the myofascial sheath basically around our body, right? And what mm -hmm. it is to release that and how painful it can be to release, but also it does give you a whole lot of more movement. Yep, sure can. And the people that do too much yoga can also be too bendy and have too much laxity in their joints. So some yep. people will back off yoga and go to like deadlifts or something and feel their pain diminish. So it just depends on where you are on the spectrum. Yep. So it sounds like your workouts are, are not typical. They're sort of atypical in the sense that you do a lot of different things. And that's one of the problems I have with working out is I get bored so easily. Mm -hmm. And so like the flavor of the moment now is doing Tabata or Tabata or whatever, or, or interval training. Mm -hmm. And I could just get so bored doing the same things over and over again. So what do you, what do you do? How do you talk to people who come to you and say, you know what, I, I just get bored with the exercise I'm, I'm doing. And that's one of the reasons why I end up quitting. I just, I get bored. Yeah. I guess two things. One is, it sounds like it's time to mix it up. Like, having exercise be intrinsically interesting is one of the ways to stay motivated. But I think on a deeper level and, and we could even relate this more even to business, but 
I guess I'll start there. So anywhere you find you're lacking motivation, kind of zoom out and say, am I missing any opportunities for mastery, autonomy, or purpose here? And if I don't have those three in a high enough degree, motivation is, I'm going to leak motivation and I'm not going to have as much of it. And like as entrepreneurs, we have like a full tank of those that we have, we can, there's endless amounts of things we can master. We have autonomy over our schedule and what decisions we make. And, and there's a purpose behind a business of who we're serving and the life that it's letting us build. And if you can see exercise as kind of an undergirding of there's a purpose behind this workout and it's giving me options to go live that life. And then you can find parts of exercise that are intrinsically interesting. Like for me now I'm, I'm working on, getting a muscle up. I've never been able to do one. I can knock out pull-ups and dips like a boss, but I've never put those two together. And it's interesting to me, like what other skills do I not have? Or how could I train my body to become better at that? And so to pick more or less fitness milestones or have kind of in your head, this fitness bucket list of little accomplishments you'd want to see happen, then it gives you new things to be training for. And it takes away some of that drudgery and that becomes an interesting journey unto itself that then is on a, on a higher level is you zoom out and it's supporting the life you want to live. Right. Okay. So that's super interesting. I'm just trying to apply what you're saying now. So I, for instance, my big thing is walking, but what I would like to do is actually jog and maybe even run. And that's been an elusive, it's been kind of a unicorn that's running, you know, in front of me that I can almost see, but I can't necessarily reach. So as I hear what you're saying, the way I would apply that is, so I typically walk three miles a day, maybe try to jog, you know, a certain part of that uh, slowly and just kind of build up, but set it as a milestone. So it's intellectually stimulating as well as just physically. So that there's like a reward to say, okay, I ran, you know, half mile today. Woohoo me. So, you know, maybe even time it or, you know, select a time. If it takes me 50 minutes to walk three miles, maybe see if I can get it down to 45 or 40 or something like that. Is yeah. That you kind can, of the application of what you're saying. There, there's that, but there's, so having a, a milestone of, of seeing improved performance uh, and in anything you do, there's going to be a limit. Like I'm never going to bench press 2000 pounds or run a two minute mile. Like the right. human body has limits. It's going to meet right. so to have a deep enough toolkit or ideas of what else you could master is part of it. Ah, um, interesting. Yeah. So to not just being in on one thing, but like for me, I, one of the things I try to break for people is begrudging how much work goes into being healthy. Like once you just go, you're at peace with it. You're like, Oh, it takes, about this much time in a given week to eat well, to exercise, to et cetera. And then it's not this darn it, I don't want it to take that much time and you accept it. Then it's like, how do I make it more and more interesting? How do I make it more valuable? So for me, like the walking that I do is 90 something percent listening to audio. Sometimes I just want to clear my head and not have right. noise in my ear. But often it's, I combine that with learning. And so it's even more interesting. It doesn't matter where I walk or how fast I go. I'm not concerned about my time. I just want to know, I just want, I'm excited to get back to that book I was listening to or that podcast or that whatever. And that becomes part of the joy of it rather than I have to get better at this every time. Cause you're not going to, I'm not going to get a lot more fit than I am now at a lot of things, but I can find little small things to get better at. And that becomes as much a part of the journey as anything. You know, it reminds me, you just said something that reminded me of a great M Scott Peck uh, quote. He wrote the book, the road less travel, but he said, Life is difficult. And once you realize that life is difficult, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. And you were just saying, <laughs> yeah. this is what it's going to take, right? This is what it's going to take. 
Um, but I want to get back to uh, excuses for a second because I'm sure you have heard them all. <laughs> when people yeah. come into the gym, the reasons why they don't work out or they don't do the proper things to take care of themselves. So talk about a few of the greatest hits, you know, the ones I know I'll start you off. You know, I, I, uh, I don't have the time. I mean, that's, that's the first one, right? I don't have the time. So maybe start there and then talk about a few of the other excuses our listeners may have and you can help them overcome them. Yeah, I, I don't have the time is typically, okay, well, let's, like, it's interesting. I, again, was somewhat dumbfounded or almost shocked at how resistant people are to letting me look at their schedule. Like, so I've got a simple exercise where we just go quantify all the waking hours in the week and like, where do they all go? If I'm going to be your health coach and your life coach, then let's take a look at it. And that is, I get people fight me on that more than anything. But I honestly, if you let me audit your time, I promise you 100%, we will find the time for exercise. So you have it. You're just not choosing to use it or you're unmotivated to use it. You don't see a purpose behind it. So let's figure that out. And nobody doesn't have the time for it. You're just, it's like, I can't buy better food. No, you choose not to buy better food. Same thing with exercise. You have the time for it. You just don't make the time for it. So, um, yeah, I've got some, it must be like an accountant looking at somebody's finances. Nobody wants people looking at their finances, but that's what you have to do if you want an accountant to help you. Right. But what's funny about it is people will typically for a month or two resist doing the exercise. And then when they do it, like, Oh my gosh, I just did that. You are a genius. Like I just saved the world for them when they finally did it. And they ended up fighting me on the side. It was an emotional block. So, because what they don't want to face is what it will tell them about where their time goes, and they don't want to be accountable for that. They'd rather just not know. And well, you bring up an interesting point, and I'm actually curious to know how you do your own time, and we only have a few minutes here to talk about this, but I know some of my time goes to Facebook, which more than it should, but I'm curious how you do your own time audit. Well, so I have a spreadsheet. I actually call it a five-minute sanity check. So essentially, I put on there, there's a list of 11 things at the bottom of it. And those 11 things have to fit on that sheet. And I have kind of baseline minimums for some of them. But looking at them, one thing that where people typically get a little bit blindsided is we, we humans have this wonderful tendency of overestimating how much we can do. And so we plan our lives on best case scenario. And then when anything interrupts it, we're like, dang it. And it's, I can't do this. It's overwhelming or I have to quit and oh, it's too much. And, and when that happens, if you haven't been able to take a hard look at where all your time's going, you don't know what you just lost or where to put it. So I'll audit my time. And the thing that people typically give the most pushback to is really a play deficiency or a sleep or a rest deficiency where they just don't feel refreshed. Like if life is coming at you hard and you feel like no part of your day was anything you got to choose and you didn't have any margin to exhale, you're naturally going to stay up later and scroll through Facebook or do something else because of that. So one trick I've done is as I've just put in my time for exhaling. And so I have a little 30 minute, it's, I, I, I was very curious how much time would be like, okay, I've done it. Like I don't need more. And for me, it's about 30 minutes a day. I play a little game on my phone to check out the Dallas Cowboys website. I think like those are about the only things in the world that I know what's going on. Like I don't, I, Facebook is a business tool. It's not something I scroll and check. And so I've found the little go-to habits. And then there's the weekly kind of like our Sundays are pretty big day for us where we hang. It's just a family day. And, and so enough of a play and rest block in the week 
is a great way. If you know it's coming, it's very easy to say, no, not right now. I'm not like for my kids. I'm not going to jump on the trampoline now. That's later. I have to work right now. And the emotional friction of that is gone. So I can actually enjoy whatever I'm, I can be fully engaged in whatever I'm doing. It's a good strategy. Thank you. I love that technique, actually scheduling your exhale time and just know, then you don't have to think about it. This is when I'm doing that. It's uh, it takes that, the thinking part out, which is great. I want to ask you a a quick question. Uh, There are a couple of other little excuses here that I've used in the past. Maybe some other people have. Um, One of them may be, I don't want to give up all my favorite things. Right. So how do you approach that? Well, I guess a few different ways. Who said you had to? What are the favorite things? And often the favorite things that you have, there's, there's some positive version of it that you can redeem. So do you want to give me an example? Okay. So one, one of the things that I wouldn't want to give up would be coffee, caffeine, let's say. Okay. Yeah. So depending on how much you're drinking, if there's a trade-off to your, your health improving or your sleep being affected, then we'd have a, a more in-depth conversation about what it's doing and what you feel like, is it an emotional thing? Is it the taste thing? Is it the caffeine? Like, what is it that's you like about it? And if you identify which element of the habit is important to you, what's cueing the habit, then we can rewind and say, is this a good cue that you need to start that routine? Or could we start a different routine that you would enjoy just as much? If it's the energy, we have to talk about a sleep issue, or if it's just the taste then is there something so there's different ways you can attack that problem but you don't always have to give up the thing you just have to find a healthy outlet for it or not um put it in the wrong part of your day that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant and as someone who has given up coffee i went from coffee to tea to now i'm on hot chocolate um, there's a ritual that I like about it that feeds me to get me started in the day. It's just a slowing down in a mental space. So I don't know. I just, I find that application exactly what you said to be, to be very uh, successful. Cool. So two quick questions to close. The first one is uh, how can people reach you, find you to find out about your programs and your training? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you could just email me, Christian, at truewholehuman.com, or you could check out our website, truewholehuman.com. Either of those places will help you find me. Great. Closing question. This is a fastball. Okay. How much does a baby elephant weigh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never weighed a baby elephant. So. Oh, come on. There's a reason oh, I'm asking. Well, it's, it's about 250 pounds, I think. Is it? And- Whatever it's, it's what weight I was able to bench press yeah. after working out with Christian. I walked into the gym, I could barely move, and after a while, I reached a certain weight, and then I started googling things that weighed that amount of. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah two hundred fifty pound bench press, big big guy. <laughs> was it two fifty or two fifty five? I can't remember. But anyways. Um, Okay. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for joining us today and for giving us, dropping some serious knowledge. We're going to have to have you back because we just scratched the surface here, but um, you were fantastic and thank you so much. And we look forward to having you back and folks check them out at truewholehuman.com, correct? Correct. All right. right. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. Thank you, Christian. And be sure to check us out at answerthecallpodcast.com.